All right, so we got less than an hour. We're going to sum up chapters one through eight, which we already taught through, which half of you were in our class through that. The other half um, were in the systematic theology class. So uh, this is just a brief overview. So everything that we did in here already, you have um, the, the notes on for each and every lesson that we went through. Um, if you need more of those, again, we can make copies. This is just going to touch on the general, general basics um, very briefly on each chapter. Uh, my thoughts on what the topics were, um, what the subjects are, my thoughts on key verses. These might not be uh, all the key verses you would have picked out, but these are the ones that I really liked and they, they made sense to me. And then just general notes that I wrote down. Um, so we have a general idea what each part and what each section is about. So as you can see on your chart here, the topics are broken out by greeting, condemnation, justification, and sanctification on there. Now some of your chapters overlap those subjects. So you can see chapter one goes greeting and into condemnation. Uh, all of chapter two is in there, but then chapter three is broken up. Half of it's in that subtopic, and the other half is in justification. Um, so you can keep this and use this to follow along with and then use this as we continue going through our study um, through the rest of the book of Romans. All right. Well, if you guys will open up to Romans chapter 1, um, there's notes in here where I do want us to read the key verses so we can have someone read those out loud. And the first one's going to be in chapter 1. As you can see on the top of the chart there, the key verses are verses 16 and 17. But first off, um, the notes that I put down are Paul, he uses this beginning of the letter, just like he does every letter that he writes, to introduce himself, right? And he doesn't say, look at me, I'm the Apostle Paul. You know, he's not doing that. He's saying, I'm Paul, the slave of Jesus Christ, and he puts Christ on top of everything, right? He makes him look like the God that he is, and Paul puts himself here and says, he appointed me as an apostle um, to teach and preach the word, but it's, it's not me you should be looking up to, it's Christ. So he introduces himself um, as the slave to Jesus, the Son of God who appointed him. He goes on to give thanks for the saints in Rome, right? He hasn't met them yet. Uh, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Rome. He hasn't been there. He wants to be there. He tells them he longs to be there, and he wants to meet them. He wants to give them spiritual blessings. He wants to receive spiritual blessings. These are things that he is looking um, to do for and get from the church, right? Um, he has heard about them. The word of them and their faith is spreading throughout the world, and that's why he wants to address them in this letter that he writes. And then he ends with just a uh, wonderfully uh, beautiful presentation of the gospel. And if I could have someone read verses 16 and 17 out loud to the class so we can hear it once again, that'd be great. Thank you, Joseph. All right, let's move on into the second half of chapter one. Um, you guys feel free to take any notes you want on the bottom here. You can flip it over on the back. 
Again, this is just for you to keep and use for reference moving forward. Um, so the second half of chapter 1, we get into God's wrath on sinners, starting in verse 18, where he directly changes from um, the presentation of the gospel into God's wrath revealed to the world against unrighteousness and ungodliness, against those who are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Paul explains um, the wrath of God just, uh, it, it's from heaven. Everyone uh, has knowledge of God, that everyone knows that there is a God exists because of creation itself. Because when you look around and you see this world that we live in and everything that is in it and everything that lives, um, there's, there's no explanation other than something, someone created it. And it is evident to everyone in their hearts. It's the same as seeing a, a building, a car, a ship, knowing that uh, there was a designer, and it didn't just poof, pop out of nowhere. So there's evidence in everyone's heart that uh, God exists and that there was a creator for the creation. Um, so Paul proclaims, proclaims that knowledge and uh, leaves everyone without any excuse that they shouldn't know God. Now, God's wrath leads them um, to fall into the desires of their heart. As you read through chapter 1, um, there's several times it said God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. So their flesh, their, their hearts, that they have their own fleshly desires to do whatever they want to do um, and reject God and suppress the truth and not acknowledge his existence at all whatsoever. Um, God's wrath has given them over to their, their desires, and there's punishment for that. Going into chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, Paul confronts the moral man. This is someone who thinks themselves as a good person. Um, this is someone who thinks highly of themselves and the way they treat others. The, the way that they live their lives is acceptable by modern man in their time. It would apply now to our time, right? Um, he goes on to, to say those who think highly of themselves, basically seeing everyone else's sin, yet themselves have a stubborn heart, and they have a heart that is unrepentant, even through God's kindness. And Paul says God's kindness is what leads them to repentance. But this person still refuses um, to accept God's kindness. They're still looking at themselves as the person who is good amongst the world and is making this world a better place. Lots of issues and things that we can relate to right now, um, right here where we live. Um, there's plenty of that going on. He goes on to say in chapter 2 that even the people, um, the Gentiles basically, those without the law, um, have the law of God written in their hearts. Now, it's, it's not the full law, but it's the moral law, right? Everyone knows in their heart that murder is, is bad, it's sinful, that rape is bad, that it's not good, that genocide is, is horrific. We know these things in our heart. We know that lying and stealing um, is bad. We know that adultery is bad. It's just, it's baked into us because we are made in God's image, um, so this is a law to themselves in their own heart, uh, and it's, their, their own conscience convicts them of the guilt that they have. 
so they're without excuse as well. Because one, they have the knowledge that God exists because it's evident throughout all creation. And then two, they have a conscience that uh, bears witness against them or for them in the actions that they, uh, that they do. Now, something we discussed when we went over this lesson uh, was that someone's conscience, who does not have God, is not a believer in uh, the God of the Bible, um, when they commit a sin, what do we typically do? We, we justify ourselves in one way or another, especially when we do it on purpose. And when we do it again, we justify ourselves again. And it keeps building this wall, a hardness in our heart that allows us to do that sin. And eventually our conscience doesn't say, hey, that's bad. It says, yes, you're okay. You're good. Keep doing that, right? That's our human's hearts. Uh, That's what happens within us as we continue uh, to sin perpetually. And without uh, the Holy Spirit in our hearts, that's where we will, that's the road that we will go down. Okay, into the second half of chapter 2. Here we are talking about um, the religious man. So here the Jew is condemned. Paul confronts the Jews' hypocrisy of teaching moral values that they do not hold up themselves. Remember what they're accused of? They teach and they preach uh, these laws of God, but they don't hold them up themselves, right? Right? They are guilty of several of uh, the things that they are teaching and that they are preaching. Paul calls them out here and says that um, (laughs) the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So people aren't talking highly about the Jewish God. They aren't talking highly about um, this God that they worship. They're blaspheming him blaspheming him because of the way that the Jews are acting and the way that they treat what they say and then what they go do uh, it's hypocritic right they're they're saying one thing and and doing another so Paul's calling them out here in chapter 2 as well he goes on to um, talk through that circumcision is only of value when the Jews heart is the spiritually is what is, uh, has been affected by God. It's been circumcised. The, the circumcision that God gave his people was an outward sign of what is happening in our heart. Today, like baptism, right? As a believer's baptism, our heart has already been changed. We have already been born again. God's already come into our heart and given us a new heart. And the outward sign is our baptism, um, their outward sign was circumcision, yet they would do it at uh, a young age uh, when they were babies because uh, they were Jews, right? They were God's chosen uh, people, yet they forgot to see the importance of the heart issues, and they would perform and do works and do works and do works, thinking that the works themselves and not their hearts is what would lead them to righteousness. Any questions so far? Any thoughts or comments? So, so far, Paul's addressed uh, God's wrath on all sinners throughout the world and anyone who has lived and what they're responsible for. And at the minimum, it's the knowledge that God exists. He's 
confronted the moral man, the one who thinks very highly of himself, um, that thinks that everyone that was mentioned in chapter 1, uh, that's not me. I don't do those things. I'm, I'm much better than that. I don't commit adultery. I don't commit murder. Um, you know, I, I don't do those things, and I'm going to tell everyone else not to do it. But Paul, he confronts that guy. He confronts that person that is saying that, but yet does not submit to God. And then he goes on uh, and confronts the Jew as well and um, runs through these verses that uh, just expose their humanity, expose their hearts for what they are, that they're sinful. So he's built up this case um, right after the gospel presentation at the beginning of chapter 1 on who is guilty before God, right? So in our topics, we're still in condemnation. It leads us into chapter 3. So chapter 3 is important um, in the aspect of explaining what the law is for. Now he starts with what advantage has the Jew because he just explained that they are no better off than anyone else. Uh, but then he uses that instance to talk about they've been given the oracles of God. They've been given the testament of God that they know what they're supposed to do where the rest of the world um, hasn't been graced with that, right? But then he talks about, um, he condemns the whole world of unrighteousness altogether and gives a reason for it uh, through the law. And we spent some good amount of time on chapter 3 as well when we went through it. Uh, we, spent, we spent quite a bit of time on 10 through uh, 20 there, but I always love verse 9 because it's such a good reminder for anyone who wants to lift themselves up, to blow ourselves up, to make us think we're just this much better off than anyone else. Paul says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both the Jews and the Greeks are all under sin, right? And then he quotes uh, several Old Testament passages here in um, 10 through, through 20. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. That's the first thing that he says that just hammers everyone on the head, right? Anyone who is not already a believer who's not in Christ. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, and there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside, and together they have become useless. There is none who does good. Remember, if there's none who does good, God's not getting glorified. Right? The good that God is looking for people to do glorifies him which is only possible through those who have the Holy Spirit in them and do the good works that God set before us to do. Paul continues, There is not even one, their, throats, their throat is an open grave, and their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Key part of that verse, right? Of that passage right there. Um, the fear of God. And we know how important the fear of God is because uh, God continues to express that through his word to us um, in many, many of the books that we have. Can I have someone read the last two verses, 19 and 20, the key verses here? 
Great. So what does the law give us? And where does it, what, what does it do for us? Through the law comes the knowledge of sin, right? So it's not justification that it brings us to. It's the knowledge of the sin that, that we have. So up to this point, this, this is where the uh, topic of condemnation um, leads to, and it gets to that final point in chapter 3, verse 20, right there. So can you see how he's building up this case against all man throughout all the world and um, using his letter, his text, God's inspired word, to wrap up everyone together and not leave anyone out that is... Righteous in their own eyes, right? He's, he's put it all together. Is there anything that stands out in particular to anyone uh, through these verses and any of these chapters? Yes, Andy. How do we address the issue of being hypocritical? Well, what's the first way to know we're being hypocritical? Know the law. To know what God's written. Right? And how do you know it? But what do you have to do to know it? You got to read it. Right? You got to read it. You got to study it. Um, Later in the in the letter here, Paul addresses that with himself, and we'll get to that, where he said he didn't know that coveting was sin, right? And then once he found out through the law, and he knew he shouldn't do it, it actually made his sin worse, because his, his flesh and everything in his heart made him desire more stuff that he didn't have. So the law draws us to the knowledge of sin. And, and we need to use God's book, God's word, to identify these problems in our own heart and um, fix those issues as we speak and we act towards others. Um, we need to be truthful. And it's, it's the take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of someone's, right? So I think that's how we need to address that. And sometimes... It's hard for us to see it ourselves, and we need to um, be willing and, and ready to hear it from our brothers and sisters who love us and are part of our, our local body or our universal body, and if they address something in us that they see and we don't see it, um, we should probably take some time to think through that, right, and make sure that um, if, if we don't feel the same way, if we think we're living righteously, um, that we've thought about it, thought through it, and can justify that, but it, yeah, yeah, if we're, if we're definitely wrong, in the wrong, then what do we got to do about that? 
and repent of that sin. Yeah. Mm hmm. Amen. Yep. Yep. Steve. Which one? Propitiation? Propitiation? <laughs> Pro Propitiation. <laughs> now I'm messing it up. Propitiation. <laughs> Tyler, say it. Here, listen to him. <laughs> You're putting me on the spot here, Steve. So it's... It's what Jesus did on the cross. He, he, he took our sin on himself on the cross and gave us his righteousness. So it was a trade our evil for his good is what propitiation is and what he did for us on the cross so that we have his righteousness and he took our sin and, and paid for the death that we deserve. Got anything to add to that? Oh, yeah. Satisfactory payment. I mean, he's saying it means satisfactory payment because uh, Jesus lived the perfect life, complete sinless. He was the, the Lamb of God that was without spot, without sin. So his payment is perfect, and it's satisfactory where if any of the rest of us did that, it wouldn't be because we're sinful and we couldn't pay the price that it would cost that makes sense? Okay, any more thoughts on chapters 1 through 3, verse 20? Questions? Ideas? We'll keep moving. Eight chapters, one hour. We're doing okay. We're doing okay. We're doing all right. We've got a ways to go, though. Okay, so then in chapter 3, verse 21, um, the topic changes over. Uh, and Paul says, but now, which is a great, great way to start. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe, there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And then right here, Steve, verse 25, still talking to Christ Jesus, whom God displayed public, publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. So as a satisfactory payment in Christ's blood through faith. Okay. So now we're into justification. Uh, you see that topic on the top of your chart there. God's righteousness is demonstrated. So he demonstrates his righteousness in the sacrifice of Jesus, who was put to death as a propitiation for sin, so that all who believe in Christ receive the gift 
of being justified before God because Jesus' blood being spilled. God demonstrates being just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It is not only the God and justifier of the Jew, but the Gentiles also. Amen for that. For we are here because of him. So God does all the work and there is no boasting from anyone. So verse 21 through the end of chapter 3, which is 31, those 10 verses, we get, um, we get that information there. And in the topic, again, it switches from everyone sins, everyone's guilty, everyone's at fault, to Christ paid the price that, that everyone deserved and he paid, and it was a propitiation uh, on the cross with his blood. And God uses that to justify all who will believe in Christ's work on the cross. And God did all the work, is what it explains here in the end of chapter 3. And it wasn't anything you did, or I did, or he did, or she did. God did it all so that we can't boast about anything no work that we did we can boast about. It's all his work, and we can um, be justified through him and because of him in what Christ did. And again, Paul points out that it wasn't just, he's not just the God of the Jews, which who, who had the law, right? The, the Jews were God's elect nation that he pulled aside for a specific reason and gave the law too, but he's not the God of only the Jews. He's the God of the entire universe. He created all. That's why every one of us has the knowledge of God before we come to know Christ, because it's in our hearts, right? That was addressed in uh, chapters 1 and chapters 2. So, into chapter 3, spins the topic there, turns the subject, and um, turns it towards God's righteousness, and we're not looking at our sin specifically as we were through the first three chapters there. Okay, we'll move on to chapter four. Feel free to jump in, ask any questions, raise your hand. But chapter four um, explains justified by faith. So in chapter four, uh, justification by faith is evidenced in the Old Testament through Abraham, and Paul uses uh, this explanation to prove it, whom Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, right? We all know that story, uh, and it was not by works of any kind, but it was apart from the works. Paul presses hard to show the Jews that the works are not the key to justification, rather by faith, showing that God is the one who brings to life that which is dead. In those key verses there, uh, in chapter 4, we got 4, 4 through 5. Someone want to grab that? And then someone grab verse 17 and 23 through 34. Okay, who's got 4 through 5 for us? Chapter 4, go for it. Great. So in these two verses here, um, Paul uses this to clearly explain that uh, 
the one who works, that you earn your wages, right? You earn what is owed to you, um, a, a free gift that um, through grace is not something that you, you earn because it's not free that way. You've earned something if you get it. And so he's saying in here, the one who works, uh, the wage is not credited to him as a favor. It's, it's something that you've earned. You worked for it. You deserve that. Uh, it's what is due. And then in verse 5, the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, uh, that faith is credited as righteousness. So that is a free gift versus something that's been earned. Um, and we're only earning death through our sin. We're not earning any life through our sin but death. Um, so those, those two verses right there are very key to separate that so that everyone's clear on um, that we can't earn any righteousness at all on our own merit. Okay, 17. Excellent. And I wanted to point out um, that verse because the end of that, that verse there, um, God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. And that can apply in multiple ways. You know, creation, uh, it can apply to those who uh, believe, who are spiritually dead, and he calls them to life, spiritual life, and calls them out of the dead so that they are now alive. Um, and Paul's using this explanation in, in four uh, to identify that, that again, it's nothing that we do on our own. It's God's work fully on his own. Who can grab those last two, 23, or uh, not two verses, but 23 through 34? Uh, I must admit, um, 23 and 24, not 34. Yeah, I wrote 34, but we don't go to 34. Okay, you got two verses. There you go. <laughs> So what does that tell us? What do we pick up from those verses? What's by faith? Okay. And well, whose, whose sake was it written for? Right? Yeah. He, he received that benefit, but now we get to learn about it and, and read through it through God's word. Okay, great. So then we jump into chapter 5. Uh, which is a, a wonderful chapter. Um, it starts very, very encouraging. And I think we, we spent a good amount of time on this as well and just loved it as we taught through it earlier. But therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction or access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt and hope of the glory of God. Uh, just wonderful news, right? 
it's exciting for all believers uh, to hear that, to get to this point in this letter that he's written. Uh, Peace with God because we are justified by faith through Jesus, whom we have obtained access by faith into grace, and now have hope in God's glory. So we're all under sin and death because of the transgression of Adam. And that goes on into chapter 5 yet. Uh, and, and yet God's free gift of grace, which is Christ on the cross, does so much more in justifying the loss, uh, lost through one act of righteousness. And we see that through the rest of chapter 5 here as we continue to read, um, especially in verses 12 through 18. But let's, let's check out these key verses real quick before we get there. Um, we have, I read one and two, six, eight, and ten. Someone want to read all three of those for us? Yes, sir. Amen. Very good. So we were helpless. Um, we were sinners. Um, Christ died for us even though we were enemies. Uh, and he reconciled us to himself through his, the death of his son. And now we are saved by his life because he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave and he is alive and living. And um, now we are saved through his life. And then through the rest of the chapter there, Paul goes on to explain that through one man's uh, sin, you know, all of creation and, the, and man itself experienced death and um, God's free gift, this propitiation that was done on the cross is so much more than what the one transgression uh, did for us. And it provides so much more. One transgression resulted in all sinning, yet Christ's um, one act of righteousness pays for all that sin with his one act on the cross, of dying for us willfully on the cross, right? We all know that if Christ, if that wasn't the plan of God and he wasn't going to do that. That wasn't going to happen. He came on earth to do that specifically uh, for his people. Okay, any thoughts on those three-ish chapters, 321 through the end of five, um, that speaks in uh, speaks to justification? Yes, Steve. Yeah, I see free gift in verses 15 twice, in verses 16 twice. Seventeen talks about the gift. <laughs> Are you tracking there, Steve?
17 says, For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Okay, very good. Anything else? Mark, I'm missing anything? <laughs> you can be honest. <laughs> there's, there's a lot to cover, but I think we're, we're doing well. If everyone's tracking, that's great. If you're not, raise your hand and let's, let's talk. It's okay. This is an open classroom. All right, then we will jump into chapter 6. Um, topic changes from justification to sanctification. Chapter 6, uh, this is the whole chapter. So it talks, the subject, uh, dead to sin but alive to God. Believers are dead to sin because they died with Christ on the cross. And once dead, they are no longer bound by the chains of sin, yet they are alive to God and can now obey righteousness instead of sin by no longer allowing themselves to live in sin and partake in the sin that they were enslaved to. So let's check out these key verses, uh, 10 through 14 and then 20 through 23. Go for it. Okay, good. So here in these verses, we're looking at Christ. He died once for all, right? But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And if we died with Christ on the cross and we're living with Christ through the Spirit, Paul says in verse 12, therefore, right? We always pay attention to the therefores. Therefore, do not. This is a command. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Right? So as believers become believers, we transition out of only being able to serve our flesh and our, our body and what it wants to now living and serving our God and Christ. Right? Right? So Paul's saying we can't allow sin to continue living, continue on in our mortal bodies and obeying its lust. We have an option now as believers to not sin. We don't have to obey everything that our body tells us to do anymore because if we died with Christ on the cross, we died to the desires of our flesh and we're living for God again. So that's what he's talking about. We don't want to present the members, the parts of our body, our eyes, our ears, right? Other parts of our body. We don't want to present them um, as instruments for unrighteousness. Now, it might happen. I'm sure it happens to all of us 
But we don't want to continually do this habitually and on purpose, right? We need to identify that. Because if we don't, then back up to chapter 2, that hypocrite, right? The moral man who thinks highly of himself. Oh, you know, I live this godly life. Yet we're committing these sins with our body parts, whatever it is. Um, whether it's food, whether it's lust, whether it's cheating, stealing, lying, any of those things. Gossip, right? Is anyone in here not guilty of gossip of another one in the last week? Yeah, yeah, we're not. It's convicting, but we need to identify that and work through that because um, we're presenting our members of our body as instruments for unrighteousness, for sin, and Paul's commanding us not to. Okay. Who's got the next key verses? 20 through 23. Go for it. Amen. So again, before we were saved, um, we were free in regards to righteousness. We didn't have anything to do with it. But now that we are, um, we can't obey just the lusts of our flesh um, because the wages of sin is death. And the free gift of God that he gave us um, is eternal life. Let's keep going. We're running out of time here. Uh, chapter 7, Conflict of the Flesh. The law bring no, brings knowledge of sin, and that sin is inescapable until death. So Paul, of his own struggles, uh, speaks of his own struggles between serving in the newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. His flesh continues to struggle with that sin until death, but God allows Paul's mind to serve God now, and he admits his own wretchedness, right? Paul's identifying that, hey, we're believers, we trust in the Lord, we're renewed in the Spirit, we have new life, but we know that there's this struggle with our flesh and with our body and the things that it's wanting us to do versus what our mind and the Spirit of God living in us is telling us to do. Um, so he, he puts himself right on our level, even though he's an apostle of God, um, he is a slave of Jesus Christ, and he is, he's no better. Right? And he's identifying his own wretchedness right there in verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And then he jumps right into verse 25, which leads into 8.1. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord! Exclamation point. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. So he's identifying this battle that he knows every believer has now as we believe in Christ, that our body, which hasn't actually died, um, our spirit died with Christ on the cross, but our body hasn't died. Our body's still living in this world, and it desires um, sinful things still. But we have the ability through the spirit in our mind and in our heart to reject that and live for God. And then getting into 8, Walking in the Spirit is now possible because there is no condemnation in Jesus. And thanks be to God for that. People living in their flesh are dead. 
Uh, but for the ones whose mind is set on the Spirit, we are alive and at peace because the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And that's just amazing. And we shall be very, very excited through that. And at this part of this letter, it's um, just very comforting to know that this is where we are at with, uh, with the Lord and what He has done for us. Key verses there. Um, Let's see here. 8 1, I already read. 5 through 6, I'll read that if someone can get 12 through 13 and 15. So 5 through 6 says, For those who are according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Okay? So this, this continues that thought process from seven of the battle between the, the mind and the flesh. And Paul's saying the mind that's set on the flesh here is, is death. It's destined for death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Okay, who's got uh, 12 through 13? 12 and 13. Go for it. Thank you, thank you. And then 15, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And then the verse right after it, uh, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And we cannot say that truthfully uh, until we are believers in Christ and his spirit does testify with our spirit that we are children of God. And then the end through chapter 8 um, really talks about believers and suffering. Now, these are some popular verses that everyone loves to quote, Christians, non-Christians alike, um, especially 28 there, right? But we got to remember context is king, right? We've been teaching that the whole time, that you got to take everything into context. And in here, Paul is talking about believers suffering for Christ, for the gospel, for their faith. Um, so as he's going through this, and I, I really encourage all of you to go through and read all of this um, before we get into uh, chapter 9 and moving on from here, it's, it's good to have a deeper understanding and, and know these chapters more thoroughly. And if you've been in this class, you have your notes. And if you haven't, you, you can just read it for yourself. You can use this. If you want some of the more detailed uh, notes that Mark and I did for the class, then we can definitely get you copies of that. Yes, Joseph. Yeah, we, we, it's so easy to, right? Believers will suffer as disciples of Christ and all the world awaits for its renewal because of its suffering. Um, it talks about the world, just creation itself longing for this renew, renewal. The Spirit will pray for us in ways we do not know how. That's a beautiful verse there in 26 um, that really puts my mind at ease when I feel like I'm a terrible prayer. <laughs> um, and God will cause all things to work together for good of those who love God, making sure nothing would ever separate believers uh, from his love for them. So again, the key verse is 26 through 30 and 38 and 39. Um, 
So 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Maybe not necessarily their good, but for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Right? So as Paul's going through all this, everything from chapter 1 through 8 now, then he turns to this question, which I didn't put on a key verse, but it's super important. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Right? And we need to think that way. We really, 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 really need to think that way. And then he goes on to explain what could separate us from God, um, what possibilities are there, and he ends with uh, these two key verses, 38 and 39, where he says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we can say amen to that. Because everything that is not created is God himself, right? Nothing existed outside of God. And he is the only person that has existed, being that has existed for eternity. So nothing that's been created can separate us from his love. And that's with the context of believers, right? Of believers, those that he's saved, and not uh, the whole world in view there, but his people, his church. Okay. Any final thoughts or questions? Tyler? Joseph? Absolutely. Right? It's a great verse, though. It's amazing to think through that and to really uh, put that into context, that he calls into being that which did, did not exist and brings to life that which was dead. Because he can do it like that. No one else here can create anything out of our own desire to do it, you know, from our mind, especially life, can't do that, so. Final thoughts, anyone? Questions, comments? We'll start into chapter nine uh, next week, and we'll go from there. It'll be fun.
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Excellent. All right. Well, let me pray, and we will fellowship with each other for a while, and then we'll get back in here and um, hear the sermon. Dear Lord, we thank you again uh, for this word, for this letter that you uh, had your Apostle Paul write to the church in Rome, and for the sake that we can read it now, and we have it in our hands, and we can study it, and uh, we thank you for just giving us hearts that long for your truth and for the knowledge of the truth that you have set before man. Lord, I pray that you can give us the desire in our heart and the words in our mouth to share the gospel with all that do not know God and Christ and his precious work on the cross, that we can have this desire to share with friends and family and coworkers and neighbors, that we can um, just put forth the effort, whether or not it's uh, anything close to perfect, that we just try and that we have this desire to go forward and speak your truth to those that are without you in this world because without you, they uh, only are earning death and uh, their, their wages of sin will just lead them to a dark path. So help us have hearts for them and love for them, Lord, that we can love them and their unrighteousness as you did for us before you called us uh, to be children of God with you, Lord, and in your grace and your mercy, just pray that you will continue to work all these things for your good and for your glory um, as we see your kingdom come in. We love you and we praise you and your son Jesus for everything he did. And in Christ's name, amen. Okay. Thanks, everyone.